This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 256. And the quote of the day is from Buddha who said, Do not dwell in the past. Do not dream of the future. Concentrate the mind on the present moment. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope you're doing well. I hope you had an awesome weekend. Uh, I moved to San Francisco this weekend, and today is the first the first Monday in the uh, in the San Fran area. So if anyone is in this area, please let me know. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn the lay of the land, so to speak, and start gigging out here. So definitely looking forward to the new locale. And thanks for everybody for your well wishes and your, your kind emails and everything. I do appreciate it. If I haven't gotten back to you yet, I've been sort of inundated with, with a lot of logistical things. So uh, that being said, we're here and we're rocking and we got Billy Drummond on the podcast. I've wanted to get Billy on here for a while. He is a a icon in his own right. He has he took you know New York by storm, is still killing it. And he has a really unique perspective about the things that happened in the past with music and sort of where music is going now. And and serves up some really good advice of, you know, how you can start incorporating that stuff into what you're doing now and just shares a ton of great stories and a lot of nuggets of wisdom uh, like a lot of these people do on the podcast. So definitely an honor to have him. And I'm going to quit yapping. We're going to get right into it with the one and only Billy Drummond. Billy, how are you, man? Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm honored and uh, I'm glad to, glad to be here. It is it is an absolute pleasure. I have to say thank you to to Carl Allen as well. He uh, he gave me your your contact info and and said that, and I agree. He said that you would be a great guest. So so thank you to Carl for for connecting us. Absolutely, thank. I like to thank Carl as well. He's one of my dear dear friends, and uh, I have the utmost respect for him. In so many areas, but uh, as a musician, as a drummer, as an educator, as a as a man, he's uh, he's absolutely the best. So uh, thank you, Carl. <laughs> Coincidentally, you mentioned of, of how nice of a gentleman he is. I said, hey, listen, if you if you think of anyone who you think uh, you know should be on the podcast, let me know. And instantaneously, he sends me an email of like 30 people. And he's like, these are just my good friends and you should just start there. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Carl, Carl is, uh, he's, he's been, uh, he's been, uh, very helpful to me, uh, in the 30 or so years that I've been in New York. And he was one of the guys that, uh, when I came on the scene in New York, he was, uh, already had already been on the scene for, uh, for a few years playing with, uh, you know, Freddie Hubbard and Jackie McLean and mm-hmm. all kinds of people. And, uh, he and I are, are about the same age, roughly the same age there's, there's a few of us that are, that are all around the same age. But I, I got here a little after <clears throat> some of these guys like Carl and, uh, Kenny Washington, of course, was already here. Mm-hmm. Lewis Nash, uh, Tony Reedus, uh, Smitty Smith, Jeff Watts, uh, all those guys had been here uh, when Art Harper, they had been here uh, some years before me. And so when I got to town, uh, they uh, 
uh, really embraced me and uh, turned me on to gigs and uh, uh, you know they just they just you know it was just like a brotherhood like a mm-hmm. like, like a you know like a family and uh, and I'll be forever indebted to them and and others too that were older than me and well more established even than them and uh, everybody was always just uh, wide wide open and uh, so it was it was uh, it was very nice to have people like that uh, kind of uh, supporting you and sure. encouraging you and uh, uh, you know showing you the ropes so to speak and Carl was certainly uh, one of those people. So what year did you get to town? And when we say to town, we're talking about New York, I'm, I'm assuming. Right, right, right. I got here the end of 87, early 88, and, um, and I had come here from, uh, from Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, I was going to ask, were you coming? Because I knew you were, you were born in Newport News. Is that where you were I, sort of? Yeah, yeah, but I was living in uh, Norfolk and Virginia Beach and playing, and I was playing in like a top 40 band at the time, and... Um, because at that time, uh, uh, to be a jazz musician in that area during that time uh, w- w- meant doing a lot of other things and not making uh, uh, a whole lot of money. And so I, I opted to do this top 40 thing all the while on my off nights, I would be playing jazz and I was always practicing jazz and stuff. I was a jazz drummer, but... I also was able to do this other thing that I that I was doing, and it was a steady gig. We were the house band for a couple of different clubs in Virginia Beach and Norfolk, et cetera, et cetera, for about four and a half years I was in the band. And so I was making a steady income every week, you know. We, you know, we were the house band, so, and I had Sundays and Mondays off, and uh, so I would play jazz on, on those nights, um, you know, if there was gigs and stuff. And then uh, I would also come to New York uh, at that time as well, because uh, this is a time when uh, there was a an airline called uh, People's Express, I think it was, and uh, they had flights that were very, very uh, inexpensive. And hmm. so I would I would fly up on, uh, on like a, a Sunday morning and stay in New York and uh, and come back Tuesday Tuesday morning so that I could, you know, do my opening night. I get you know, and, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's what I was doing prior to my coming here. So what, what prompted the move to New York? Were you sort of gradually making Uh, your way in New York and you, you know, just said, Hey, you know, it's really starting to happen. I should probably be here more often. Well, yeah. I mean, a couple of things kind of sealed the deal, so to speak. Um, I had always I had always aspired to come to New York. That's what I that's what I wanted to do. And I was basically doing this gig to to save money so that I had enough money to come to New York. And, you know, my my initial plan was to come to New York and and last as long as I could with the money that I had saved. And then if if nothing, quote unquote, happened that, uh, uh, you know, uh, gave me the impression that I could stay. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh then 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 uh then I then I would I would go back but sure. but, uh, but uh a couple of things happened. I like I said I I had been coming to New York uh to uh to 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 see to see, you know, musicians play, see the people that I wanted to to be around and and see, you know, 
uh, you know, come, go and hear music and things like that. So I, I, uh, I went up once to see uh, the drummer Al Foster, mm -hmm. and uh, I had, I had always been a fan of Al's, but I had, uh, I had never seen him play. And I, I, I met Joe Henderson, the saxophone player in Virginia. He was playing down there with some local musicians, and I met him, and I was talking to him, and and uh, and he was kind of encouraging me. Because uh, I was talking to him about Al Foster, and he was like, "Oh man, you've got to come to see Al Foster play." He, you know, he was raving about Al, and I, that just that just uh, instilled more uh, encouragement for me to go and see him. Right. So, uh, so he said, "We're playing at the Vanguard." Um, I'm sorry, my phone. That's right. Uh, um. He said, we're playing at the Vanguard, uh, you know, in a month or so. And I said, and he said, Al is playing with me. And I, and I, uh, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll be there. So I, I went up and I, I met Al and, uh, and uh, Al was, he's one of those people that I mentioned before that uh, was so great to me and sweet and encouraging and just, you know, just welcoming and so I met Al and I befriended Al and actually Al let me sit in that night, which was a nice, pretty crazy experience for me. But um, anyway, so I started coming up to see Al play uh, uh, quite frequently because at that time he was uh, he was playing with everybody. I mean, he 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 had, you know, he had gigs. He was the drummer for Sonny Rollins. He was the drummer for. Uh, Herbie Hancock. Mm -hmm. He was the drummer for Joe Henderson, <laughs> and then he was like the almost like the house drummer at the Vanguard, playing with a variety of people. You know, Steve Kuhn, Tommy Flanagan, Eddie Daniels. He was playing with everybody. Yeah, he was playing with everybody. So he was at the Vanguard pretty much every month or so. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, so whenever he was there, I would, I would, you know, take my. $23 and fly <laughs> out of New York and $23 to fly back. It was, you know, it was, it was really uh, a very perfect time to, you know, on so many levels to do that. So after coming up to see him several times, he, he basically just said, man, you keep coming up here. Why don't you just move up here? <laughs> yeah. Just stay. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, and I, you know, I thought about it and I, I decided, okay, you know, I'm going to do just that. And so, uh, and so I did. <laughs> and uh, it was very good advice. And, and prior to that, I had met Art Blakey. And, uh, and he said the same thing. He was just like, you know, if you want to play the drums, you got to move to New York. Right. right. And uh, so when somebody, when those kind of people encourage you and give you that sort of uh, sage advice, you 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 don't take it lightly. Sure. So, <laughs> what was what were some of the challenges that you had getting here? Was it was it an immediate thing where you started gigging quickly, or was there was there an adjustment period for you that you were sort of I don't I don't want to necessarily say that you made the wrong decision, but that that you were struggling because I know that a lot of the listeners move you know now listen to or. Uh, relocate to different places. They'll go to Los Angeles. They'll go to Miami. They go to New York, Nashville. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, can you talk about that a little bit about whether whether it was an easy transition or not, and and how you sort of dealt with that stuff? 
Well, actually, for me, it was it was a kind of a fairy tale uh, transition. I didn't have I didn't have any problems at all. In fact, after I had been to New York for I had been in New York maybe two weeks, and I got called to sub in a band that was established uh, that was put together by Blue Note Records at the time, and this band was called Out of the Blue. And so I got a chance to sub in that band, uh, and and, the, and that gig was uh, well. The first gig was out of town. It was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So mm-hmm. that was the first gig. That was maybe uh, a week and a half after I had moved to town. And then that weekend, they had a gig at the Village Gate, which is a jazz club that's no longer uh, in existence, but a very very well-known jazz club at the time and mm-hmm. throughout history and all that stuff. And, uh, and they asked me to do that. And I, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. And, uh, and I hadn't even, I hadn't even driven my car into Manhattan yet. So I didn't even know how to get to Manhattan from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, which is never a pleasant experience driving your car right, from Brooklyn to Manhattan. <laughs> right. Right. The BQE is in, con- in a constant flux in a state of disrepair. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, uh, so then that was opposite the, uh, the Mingus dynasty band at that time. And that mm. was, that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, uh, Billy Hart, Buster Williams, Kenny Barron, I forget Jimmy Nepper, maybe Jack Walrath, and I can't remember who else was. So anyway, that was that was my first gig in New York, and I had been in New York only about only about two weeks. So then after that, that band asked me to join the band, and the next gigs were in Europe. Wow, nice. So so it was my first time going to Europe, and uh, and and so things just kind of, and then I. Uh, in addition to being asked to to be in that band because their 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 previous drummer was leaving to go on a solo career of his own and uh, that's Ralph Peterson great great drummer oh yeah yeah i've had also, Ralph yeah who's also one of one of one of the guys that uh, was super super encouraging and help helpful to me and uh, just a sweetheart and uh, one of the guys i looked up to and he's also around my age mm-hmm. but he had already been in new york for a while and he already had some you know some serious experience you know mm-hmm. from from having been here for two or three or four more years before i had gotten here right so um so anyway so in addition to uh uh joining this this band that had you know had a record contract and had some you know had some weight behind it somewhat uh uh i was also playing just playing with people in new york uh that lived in the neighborhood in brooklyn and other people that i was meeting so i was playing little gigs and i used to play at a place called augie's which is now smoke and uh, I used to play there two or three nights a week regularly, and uh, and you know, and all kinds of people, you know, came up playing there. Peter Bernstein and Bill Stewart and Larry Goldings and Freddie Bryant and Kevin Hayes and Ira Coleman, all kinds of you know guys my age that were, you know, and it was it was just a little joint up uptown um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, it was just a, a place to play, and everybody was hanging and playing. So I got to meet all the musicians that were 
that were you know that were up and coming and trying to trying to figure it out trying mm-hmm. to and uh, that was nice. The thing that's interesting is, you know, over the course of all of these interviews and conversations that I've had, that there seems to be, you know, two sides of it. There's there's guys like you who came into New York and I don't I, I don't want to say it was easy by any means, but sort of, uh, you know, whether it be serendipitously or, or whatever the case may be, fell into these situations that that turned out to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then there's other guys that are, you know, they came into town. They're like, man, it was really hard for me. And, you know, it took me a while to get gigs. So I, the message that I get out of that is that there's no one size fits all thing. So if, you know, there's somebody out there that's, that just moved to a town and they're sort of struggling, you know, that doesn't mean that, that, that you can't do it or that you're, that you're not going to make it. You, you may just have to work a little harder, or double down on, on something and network a little bit more or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I, I don't think that, I don't think you can, I don't think you can plan it. I, I certainly I certainly hadn't planned anything. I hadn't planned for anything. All I, my, my goal was basically to come and see if I could see, see what was going to happen and see how long I could last. And if I, if, if, if things didn't work out, then, you know, my option was perhaps to go back, uh, to, to where, <laughs> to where I came from. Right. But, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, right place at the right time i mean even even uh, uh at the very beginning even if you do have an opportunity and something jumps off that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to last mm-hmm. or that you're going or that you're going to be able to be up to the task or if you're or that you're going to be able to you know navigate through all the other stuff that that goes on after something like that maybe that launches things st- collapses you know sure. because but but in the, in my case, uh, fortunately for me, uh, one thing kind of led to another, and and you know while I was doing this, I was also doing that and such and such like that. So uh, uh, so uh, I think you just have to uh, uh, you know trust your instinct somewhat, and mm-hmm. just you know uh, life's short, and uh, if you if you want want to try to do something, you, you should just go ahead and try to do it. You know. Sure. So, there. I, I wanted to ask you a question, and there's a reason behind the question. Um, how long have you been at Juilliard? At Juilliard? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I'm not quite quite sure. I, I think probably about 12 or 13 years, something like that. Okay, and, and the reason why I asked that question was that when you got to New York in, you know, the late 80s at, versus how New York is now, I was I was literally just having a conversation about this today uh-huh. that I mean the landscape has definitely changed in terms of clubs are closing and, you know, getting work may be harder, you know, some people say that it's harder, some people say, you know, it's the same. So, how has the landscape for you changed and was that chance in, change in landscape did that sort of you know, was your opinion or your your decision to join Juilliard? Did that have anything to do with the changing landscape? Uh, you mean to to start teaching? Yeah, uh, on a on a university or you know level, college level. Yeah, because That's I wonder. I, I you know there was, there's a lot of guys who I talk to who either got into teaching on the university level because they didn't want to hustle gigs as much or they didn't want to go on the road as much or the landscape changed of, uh, you know, of, of the business of, of where they were in their locale. So I'm just curious to see how that, 
if there was transitions for you and if so, how they went and how things have sort of changed for you over the years. I see. I see. Well, um, I quite honestly, uh, both the teaching positions that I have now, um, they kind of uh, happen by just by chance. Um, I was asked to come in to help out at Juilliard uh, from its, uh, by, by, by its former director. And, uh, and then once I started doing that, then they just took me on as, as actual, as an actual faculty member. And at NYU, uh, the same thing sort of happened. Uh, and I, and it was kind of, uh, it was a good good time period for me because I was I was going through a personal change and I and I needed to be um, home a little bit uh, more regularly with more with, with you know with more certainty mm-hmm. um, because I had a young son at the time who, who was just starting he was just finishing up kindergarten getting ready to go into first grade oh, okay and th- and this enabled me to kind of uh, when I was home I was you know, I was steadily working. And then mm-hmm. when I was on the road and, and he was being taken care of, then, then that was cool too, you know? Sure. So I, it, it kind of enabled me to, to be, be a little bit more, um, stable in my, in my, uh, my, my, my son's, uh, upbringing. And, uh, that was very, 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 very important to me. Sure. And so, um, so, it, but it all kind of came about, uh, you know, kind of around the same time. So it it, it kind of worked out to my advantage mm-hmm. in that regard. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed a difference in how you have to run sort of your, let's call it your business, uh, in terms of getting gigs or in terms of of you know the clubs that are that are closing and and things like that or is it just you know is it just sort of where you know the sign of the times and you and you adapt and and you keep going uh well hmm i mean there's still quite a few clubs in in, in new york sure. uh uh the thing about being a jazz musician living in new york um and operating based out of New York is that uh, uh, most of the musicians that I know, um, um, most of their l- most lucrative work, I would say, is traveling. Mm-hmm. So you basically have to get on an airplane and go somewhere else. And uh, New York, you know, I mean, you can play for a week in a club or four nights in a club or something like that and uh, and that that works but most of the time uh you're doing like one nighters or, or something like that and and you you need to do that not so much uh well financial reasons too but you you have to stay you have to kind of stay out here a little bit on the scene you know mm-hmm. you, you need you need to be you know and you want to you want to play you want to play with people you want to you want to, you know, stay tuned up. You know, you can't just sit around and uh, say, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play until, you know, 
something comes up. Until the you know, road gig comes eight, up. Eight, eight months down the road, you know, you you know, you you go crazy. At least I would. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so 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 you got to You have to uh, you have to kind of stay out here and you know and be involved and uh, and um, you know keep 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 tuned up. At least at least I feel like that. Here's a little fun fact for you. Did you know that in 1972, DW Drums, as we know it today, started as a drum school in Santa Monica, California by Don Lombardi? Then in 1983, after bringing a couple products to market, they introduced the first ever double pedal design that changed drumming forever. 2012 was their 40th anniversary, and then in 2015... Gretsch, LP, and Gibraltar, and other American percussion brands joined the DW family. So it's been an amazing ride for the last, you know, 40 plus years. And you can learn all about that amazing ride and how they have really influenced the face of drumming over the last 40 plus years at DWDrums.com. Hey, for all you classic cats out there, you can revisit the golden era of drumming with Evan's 56 Caftone. They're made in New York from advanced synthetic materials and fitted with D'Addario's Level 360 technology. Evan's 56 Caftone delivers the warm, familiar sound you love with the quality and consistency of a modern drummer's demand. Learn how you can get the Caftone sound for yourself at evansdrumheads.com. Now let's get back into it with Billy Drummond. Do you still think it's essential as a jazz drummer now to live in New York? That I wouldn't be able to answer. I, I, all I know is that uh, had I not been in New York, uh, had I not moved to New York, I know for a fact that I wouldn't have had the uh, the wonderful opportunities and to to have to play with these these great people that I played with and record with them. And be on, you know, you know, several hundred records and traveled all over the world and, you know, gotten mm-hmm. a chance to uh, become acquainted with and, and become friends with some of my favorite drummers and favorite musicians, etc., uh, etc., etc. Et so New York still, I think, is the place to to get that experience. Now that that's not to say that you can't come here and get that experience, and then once you get it, take it and go somewhere else and mm-hmm. uh, carry that with you. Uh, but I I do think for me I think uh, it 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 worked out the best that I that I came here because I I I got a chance to to play with and be in bands with people that I I never even imagined or dreamed of that I would get a chance to play with. And sure. uh, I don't think that would have happened if I had stayed where I lived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it might've happened occasionally or once or twice, or somebody came through town and I got a chance to play with them or whatever like that. But, right, but uh, not with the same regularity that you yeah, have. But, but yeah, but when, when you're, when you're, when you're here, you know, you know, you, you know, uh, word travels fast. If somebody needs somebody and, somebody's names comes up and oh yeah okay i don't know him but let me see what's okay what's his dump you know and and that you know so uh those kind of opportunities happened for me and i think uh you know quite a few other people and i don't think they would have happened 
like that if if you were isolated somewhere else, maybe. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, if you lived in Chicago or if you lived in Boston or, you know, some other uh, metropolitan area that has an international jazz uh, uh, presence somewhat. But uh, but New York is very is, there's there's a there's so many uh, people of, of that kind of stature that that live here. Mm-hmm. And then there's so many people that that have been here that go somewhere else. But still, when they come here, they they're, they're getting the people from the pool that's here. Right. Right. You, you see what I mean? Like sure. like like that. You know, there's always exceptions. But uh, for the most part, I think it's a, it's a, it's it's a plus. Um, at least it was for me at that time. Now that was thirty some years ago, so I'm not sure how to how to um, how to how that translates to now because the world is is a is a different place and uh, communications are, are are a lot different than they were. Then there was no uh, email or <laughs> right. or any, or Facebook or any of that kind of stuff. Then you know, mm-hmm. so well, now things are a lot different and. Uh, Somebody can hear about you if you're in, you know, I don't know, you know, wherever you are, you know, and perhaps say, I, I saw you, your YouTube clips or whatever it is, or you're, you know, I want to use you on a gig that I've got in New York or whatever. And perhaps that that might uh, might be what's happening right now. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I know for me at that time, I felt like uh, that was the 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 thing to do sure and there's there's definitely two schools of whether or not the the changing of of how we communicate uh whether you know half of half of the people say it's a bad thing half the people say it's a good thing (laughs) so where do you where do you stand in that argument oh well i mean i'm not i'm not a a a luddite i'm not uh you know i i i'm all for technology and the advancements that took that technology has 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 taken. Um, I will say this: that it, it's a different it's a different time in terms of um, uh, well, not so much communication, but in learning. I think uh, there's a lot of um, well, there's a lot of distractions uh, mm-hmm. right right now um, with younger people. Um, uh, so you've got you got your phones beeping and stuff and you got, you know, so many things to to take your mind away from what you might be concentrating on at any given time if you let it, you know. But but at the same time, the advancements in technology and and things have made it made it uh so much more convenient and so much so many things more accessible, you know, if 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 a young musician wants to study uh, I don't know. A young drummer wants to study Max Roach, for example. He can go on his phone and watch Max Roach YouTube videos. So amazing! All day long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and watch him play and whatever. When I was when I was growing up, uh, even you know before I moved to New York, but when I was you know learning how to play the drums in the '60s and '70s, that was impossible. Those guys weren't on television. Right. Uh, they didn't even have VHS v- videotape wasn't even happening then. You, mm-hmm. know? you had to either go see them or get the record. Or... Get the record or you are you are you if you if you were lucky enough to go see them, then by all means you did that. But um, so now 
you know, you have you have all this uh, instant information, mm-hmm. and it could be that that's a, an overload because I, I have students that that there's so much out there they really don't know how to focus. They don't. Right. They don't know what to do. I was going to say, you know, I know for me when I was younger, I would get a record, you know, I would either get vinyl or, or a tape or a CD or something. And I didn't have, you know, a hundred of these CDs of all different performances on it. I had one and I had to listen to that CD over and over and over and over again. Right. And really dissect the tune and you know listen to what the bass player is doing what listen to what the drummer's doing go back listen again hear the melodies hear the harmonies that are going on right right and i don't uh, and i don't want to speak for you but i i think for you know what you're saying about the overload is that maybe on on the surface there's a lot of information but there's not there's not there's a lot of whip width and not a lot of depth of what's going on yeah and and it's up to the individual to to make the choice as to how deep they want to go into it. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you have the, the, the wherewithal to, to say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going head first into this study of whatever it is that I'm studying. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be deterred from that then, you know, but that's up to the individual and that's, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> with all the other little things that are, that are that are going on around us all the time instantly fast people yeah. want things done fast you know you you want things accomplished fast uh but uh, uh learning how to play music sometimes isn't necessarily a quick study you know right. it, it takes it takes quite a few years to 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 learn how to to do something well mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had John Ramsey uh, on on the podcast, and he was talking sort of the same thing about how you know music has to be this lifelong endeavor, and there has exactly. to be you have to take the time to dive into this thing. It's not something that you can just skim over. Coincidentally, Carl and I talked about that a lot too, about <laughs> sort of honoring the tradition of of what happened before, and you know, he I think his concerns are that there's so much information out there that people are just skimming through it. And, you know, they watch, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen, you know, I've seen Max play before. I wasn't really impressed. And it's like, well, you watched a 45 second, you know, right. clip on YouTube. You haven't, you know, listened to an entire record 500 times of him. Right, playing. right. Exactly. That's exact. That's he's exactly right. It's it's it, it takes a long time for that sort of thing to seep in. And even even. uh you know, I, I mean, there's there's things that that you know you're you're exposed to, and 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 at a time, and then you don't really get it until ten, fifteen years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that happens too. You know, people, you know, drummers. There's been drummers that I, uh, you know, might have been turned on to, you know, a long time ago, and it didn't it didn't. It didn't stick until much later. Yeah. I and, had the same thing with Steve Jordan. I watched him play one time. I was young. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, yeah, I guess, you know, he's okay. He seems like a drummer to me, you know, I was like, I wasn't really impressed by him. Mm-hmm. And now I watch him play and I'm just, you know, completely blown away because I understand, you know, 
a lot more of what's going on. Yeah, it takes it, it takes a long time for for you know to you know that goes along with just maturity as a human being and you know as as a man or as a woman. You know, it takes you know it takes it takes a while to 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 have an understanding of things beyond just the surface. Mm-hmm. So a twofold question: one, how are you sort of combating that as as a professor uh, to sort of you know, help kids see the light if, for lack of a better way of explaining it. But then also, you know, what is your advice now, you know, for people who are listening that that are sort of overcome with all of this information of of how they can start diving deep inside of this stuff? Well, uh, I guess you have to make a decision as to what you want out of it. Um, uh, and again, you know, it's about choices and about, you know, Deciding, okay, I'm going to get to the bottom of this as best I can. And before I move on, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that. Uh, uh, at the same time, I'd also like to probably say that, you know, uh, we have to live in our time. So uh, it's, it's, it's a different time than when I started playing the drums in 1963 or 64 it's a different time now and so uh there's all kinds of things uh musically that are happening now and influences of music that are happening now for people that are starting to play or starting to want to study uh the drums or or jazz drums uh, at a, at the age of 18 or 19 when they come into the university situation. And so, and I understand that and I, I'm all for people living in their time and been, and being influenced by the music and the things in their life at their time. Because when I, when I was, I mean, I was certainly influenced by a lot of fusion music of what, you know, when I was in high school, uh, uh, Ma Vishnu Orchestra and Return to Forever and Weather Report and Larry mm-hmm. Coriel's Eleventh House and all that kind of stuff was happening. You know that was that was happening. You know, yeah. And that, I mean that. Was, so those drummers, Billy Cobham and uh, Lenny White and uh, the drum, the various drummers with with Weather Report, Eric Gravatt and Alphonse Muzan and uh, Narada Michael Walden, so on and so forth. Um, uh, that was influencing me as a quote unquote jazz drummer because those were really kind of jazz musicians that had crossed over into uh, jazz Fusion. rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jazz rock music. You know? mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I think that's the same thing that's happening now with, with the generation who, who have been informed by let's say uh, Dilla, you know, or some rap, you sure. know, rap music. And so that's, I think that's a good thing. I think that's what's what is supposed to happen naturally mm-hmm. because you have to live in your time. You can't ignore your time. Now, the thing is, is you, you can make the choice as to what you deem um, important or appropriate to, 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 to add to what it is that you're de- dealing with. If you're, if you want to be a quote unquote jazz musician, whatever, whatever that might mean nowadays. But, um, so, uh, I, I understand that. And so if somebody that's 18 or 19 wants to study and really be informed about Max Roach, then their interpretation of it 
at some point will probably be influenced by their time of their upbringing if they were involved in, let's say, rap music or hip hop, or if they were involved in uh, 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 gospel uh, drumming. There's a lot of that element going on now, or if it's if it's speed metal, whatever whatever it is. It, right. Are it, you seeing a lot of that sort of meld into into quote unquote jazz? Perhaps. Because you know, I look at guys like, you know, like uh, Chris Dave or mm -hmm. someone mm -hmm. like, um, uh, like, I don't know, I'm just like any, any of the snarky puppy guys, you know, like, mm -hmm. I'm just, mm -hmm. I, I'm sort of seeing that from like, a, because I grew up listening, I grew up listening to hip hop like that. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, so when I hear some of the stuff that they're playing, uh, sometimes it sounds like Jay Dillon and sometimes it sounds like Max, Max Roach. Yeah, uh, well, that, there you go. That's you know? exactly that's exactly what I'm, what I'm. I guess is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, and so, I I think it's great, but I'm also you know 36 years old. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's. I mean, and that's what I'm talking about. You've got to you've got to live in your time, and I think that has happened with the uh, wonderful, great, innovative drummers of of the past. You know, for example, um, to just make a an analogy here, um, if I may. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's say somebody like Elvin Jones and Tony Williams. Let's just use those two uh, because they might be the two of the last really innovators of the drums mm -hmm. um, in the jazz world, perhaps. Um, let's just say that uh, because of their age difference, even though they both started kind of emerging and changing the way we all play the drums after their arrival and their important contribution to the, the, the drumming world and the music world at the same time. Mm -hmm. But um, you could say that uh, Elvin Jones didn't really have any rock and roll, let's say influence in his playing his, his, he was informed. It seems to me by music that was based on swinging, uh, swing, swing or bebop. Uh, music sure maybe maybe rhythm and blues which wasn't rock and roll mm -hmm. it was rhythm and blues it was backbeat but it was more of a shuffle backbeat mm -hmm. whereas tony williams was a much younger man who was a teenager when uh uh you know frankie lyman and the coasters and all those kinds of doo-wop groups were happening mm -hmm. not to mention the fact that around the time that he joined uh, uh miles davis then the british invasion started to happen right and he was a young person who was at the same time that he was listening and devouring art blakey and philly joe jones and max roach and roy haynes and alan dawson etc 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 he was also a teenager and so probably what he was hearing on the radio with people of his age was this other music and so when you hear him play you hear that mm -hmm. even eighth note influence you you hear why he was able to move into what happened later after he left miles and the latter part of playing with while he was playing with miles you, you hear you hear those influences and that's why he was enabled that's why he was able to 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 forge ahead and start a group like lifetime because 
he was open to Hendrix and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all that, all that stuff because he was part. He was part of that just in terms of his time because of his age. You, you see, you see what I, I'm saying? I totally understand what you're saying. So that that's why I think that uh, that's why I think that people end up playing the way that they do and being who they are because you play who you are and what has been in your life up to that point. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, thinking of that, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, uh, you know, we're a product of our environment. Exactly right. You got to kind of be who you are. Now you can, you can disavow who you are if you want to, too. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but, you know, I mean, everybody can make the choices that they want to make. And so, um, that, that's, that that's what I would say to 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 students. But I do, you know, I do stress to my all of my students that they understand the history of what they're getting involved in. There's no point in trying to be a, a, a quote unquote jazz drummer and not understand the complete legacy and the history of what has preceded you. Mm-hmm. That's just I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a good idea. And I don't think. Uh, you're going to uh, really understand what you're doing if you if if you haven't done that. Yeah. So I, I you know I have I have my first semester students oftentimes write a paper. I I choose a drummer for them to write a paper on because a lot of times they won't they won't do it. I mean, and the people that I have them write papers on are not necessarily people from the past that are no longer here. There are people that they are people that are alive and playing so that these students have, you know, have an opportunity to go see this person that they're writing the paper on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and sometimes they don't even do it. And it's just, it bothers me. And I, I'm like, man, I'm not trying to get you to write a paper on, you know, uh, you know, biology. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Jefferson or something. Uh, right, Patrick right. Henry. This is like, man, go go see Victor Lewis and write a paper on him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's going to make your life better, and it's going to make you play better. It's going to make you understand better to see somebody of that stature play the drums. I always think it's interesting to hear the influences of the people who you listen to and then you say, Oh, well that explains a lot. Like when, you know, when I found out that John Bonham was, you know, he, all he listened to was jazz records, mm-hmm. you know, and you say, okay, well that's why John Bonham sounds the way he does. That's mm-hmm. why he swings. That's he's sort of like a frustrated jazz musician that plays rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, you know, he certainly, you know? Had, he certainly had a great feel, you know, and mm-hmm. he, you know, he carved out a, he carved out a, a, a style of playing that that's you know that's you know an I- iconic way of playing the playing rock and roll drums if you want to call it that you know mm-hmm. I I like I I should say I love the the uh the outlook that you have on it that you know yeah of course things are changing and you know this technology thing is happening and and the the music may not be exactly what it was before but you know it wasn't the it wasn't the same when it went from sort of, you know ragtime to to you know, bop or whatever it was. I mean, there's uh, the, the times change and a lot of times people get a little crotchety about it, but I love the idea of embracing it and just saying, hey, let's, you can still make great music and have it influenced by what's going on throughout your day as long as you're understanding where this stuff came from and, and you're understanding the lineage. That's, yeah, that's really, really important because, you know, if, if, if you, if you want to play, 
the ride symbol, for example, and you have no idea what Kenny Clark sounds like, then you're, you're missing out on the guy who pretty much liberated the drummer from playing on the sock symbol to the, to the ride symbol, mm -hmm. you know, I mean him and, you know, few other people, but he was right there at the very beginning of when jazz went from, uh, you know, swing oriented, you know, where people were keeping time on the hi-hat to, to, you know, playing up on the, on the cymbal because the music needed that. The music needed that. It needed that lightness and it needed the, 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 uh, uh, syncopation that, that he helped to develop along with, you know, of course, Max and, and Art Blakey and Roy Haynes, but um, you know, so when I when I have when I have uh, drummers uh, that are you know their first semester and they don't have any idea about that, then I make them I make them check that out mm -hmm. because you know <laughs> that's what you're going to need, and and that hasn't changed that much. If you listen to Kenny Clark playing on the ride cymbal, it hasn't changed much from that. I mean, the things that have gone on. To to to, in addition to that, have changed, but that's still very much <laughs> a part of what what we do in music when we play music that's swinging, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, it it's a you know the the idea of of listening to Kenny Clark play on the ride cymbal, and if you haven't taken the time to do that, it's it, it to me it's borderline comical because there's guys like you know kenny clark or tony williams or elvin or any of these guys that have spent their entire career trying to get that ride symbol to sound perfect you know well yeah well the it, it's just it's 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 just so important to to be aware of you know you can't you know put the cart before the horse you know you can't run before you can walk or crawl you know so you you know, you got to you got to get that part together. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's where you have to stay. I'm just saying that you have to see where 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 you're going came from, where you want to go came from. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot that, where it came from that still hasn't been bettered, quite honestly. So, you know, right. it's, it's not like you're just going back looking at old photos it's like this this <laughs> stuff this stuff there to 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 that's very 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 challenging and yeah. hasn't and hasn't been uh hasn't been topped yet mm -hmm. and the drums you know overall are a relatively young instrument too so that's I think right that's true that's true and luckily for us as drummers uh it's development in terms of you know people playing the instrument have have been recorded so you can go back and hear Chick Webb or mm -hmm. or uh, uh, Sid, Big Sid Catlett or you know, you know, or you know these people you know that they were recording in the in the thirties and forties and and here you know where where what you do came from and you'd be surprised as to how much information is there and how much uh, hurdles are to be uh, um, jumped. To, to to even get to where 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 they are, mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot of lot of there's a lot of stuff back there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So where do you think this is probably a tough question, but I like to I like to ask everyone this: is where do you think people should start? Where you know, for me, 
I would, if someone says, hey, I've never listened to jazz before, I don't know anything about it, I would say, okay, just go buy maybe Kind of Blue. Uh, it seems like to be a pretty easily digestible jazz record and, you know, arguably one of the, you know, one of the best jazz records ever. But where do you think that starts for a drummer? Where do you suggest that they go if they're a rock drummer and they don't know anything about jazz or they're just starting playing and they want to get into just really understanding jazz? Um, well, it, you know, it depends on where they are, first of all, as a as perhaps as a drummer, you know, because one of the things about playing, playing jazz drums, I would say, because that's what I do, is that you've got to be able to play the, the, the drums, it, it, the instrument, uh, fairly well. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. um, I, I get some students that, you know, have this notion, oh, I want to play jazz. That seems like a, fun thing to do. I've been fooling around with the drums a little bit and jazz seems like might be fun, yada, yada. And then you realize that, uh, that they can't play the drums. They, they have, they don't have any basic skills as a, as a, as a, as an instrumentalist is what I'm trying to say. You, sure. you know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, and so I'm somewhat of a stickler for that because, uh, I, you know, I, to me, in 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 my experience, the 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 best quote unquote jazz drummers are the best drummers, period. That, that might not play, uh, you know, Sly Dunbar or somebody, you know, whoever. They don't. He doesn't have anything to do with jazz. Mm -hmm. But but, but uh, uh, it seems like they play the drums really well. Like you just mentioned, John Bonham. He's not a jazz drummer, but he plays the drums really well. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. So that would be my my first place to start is to find out where this person is on the instrument. Can you, you know, can you play the drums well? Can you play a, a role? Can you play? Do you, do you have an understanding of the rudiments? Can you read? You know, there's a lot to, that goes along with with being a jazz musician, uh, a jazz drummer than 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 just the notion of wanting to be one and finding you know finding a record to start with and you also have to really like or perhaps love the music you have to love the music you have to really love the music if you want to if you want to do it mm -hmm. uh because if you don't love it then it's going to be frustrating uh um so you might hear it and you go, well, that's, what is that? That's, I don't, I don't particularly like that. <laughs> uh, so, so you, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to love the music in order to excel at, at working at it. Right. If you don't, then, then you're, you're, it's going to be a chore. It's not going to be something, a labor of love. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's what I would think. Sure. Uh, in terms of finding, in, in terms of, uh, of, finding a, a, a particular recording or start with a particular record or something. I don't know. I don't know if there's one uh, recording that would suffice that could be determined as, as, as this, this will open your eyes to jazz. I, I'm not sure if there's one record that would do that. I mean, the record that you mentioned is of course a, a phenomenal record, but, uh, you know, there's, you know, I mean, what about the record Milestones? I mean, if yeah. if somebody told me to pick up, you know, maybe a Miles Davis record that had all the elements of what I would consider 
the prime examples of jazz, I might pick that one over kind of blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost the same personnel except for the, 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 the piano player and the drummer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, that, that, that one I would, I would pick if, if I had to pick, you know, the series of working, steaming, cooking, relaxing, you know, those records are also prime examples of, uh, what I consider to be, you know, jazz, but then, you know, then what about Count Basie records or, <laughs> or, or something like that? I mean, that's jazz too. And that's, yeah. those are prime examples too. You put any record on a Count Basie with, 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 you know, Sonny Payne or, or Papa Joe Jones or Gus Johnson or, or Shadow Wilson or Harold Jones or any of those people. That's certainly, that's certainly jazz now. Yeah. Okay, but you know, and I could go on and on and on. Charlie Parker record or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could present a, one particular recording. But I would, I would first say to somebody, let's. Do you have an understanding of playing the instrument? Let's start there. You know, it's like with a piano. You wouldn't expect a jazz pianist to not know his scales. Sure. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. So what does you know, uh, Michael Carvin always says that, you know, sort of rudi- learning your rudiments, or it's like learning the 26 letters of the alphabet. So, well, to a certain degree, because it, it just it, it just helps you to, to understand how to put patterns together using the left hand and the right hand. So mm-hmm. it's just combinations of lefts and rights. And that's what you do when you play the drums. You're playing combinations of lefts and rights, you know, yep. all the time. So you have to have some sort of facility you know, you know what I mean? To, to be able to, to, to execute some of the things that you're going to have to execute when you play the drums playing jazz. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm kind of getting at. It. Sorry to be so long-winded about it. No, I, I asked the question, so I, okay. wanted, to, I, I wanted to hear it. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so quickly, I want to I be cognizant of your time. Let's uh, shift gears and talk about what you have going on now, where people can, we mentioned seeing people live. So where can, where can people see you live uh, in the, the upcoming months, and what is the best way for them to sort of keep an eye on you and, and follow what you have going on? Um, well, I, I have a website, um, billydrumandrums.com. And uh, I'm on, you know, Facebook, you know, to a certain degree, and I do post my my gigs there. And so that's how, that's how they can uh, keep up with my activities in that regard. Um, and the next few things I have this week, I, I open at the uh, Jazz Standard um, with a very wonderful pianist who I've had an ongoing relationship for the last uh, oh, 26 years or so. The name Steve Kuhn. Uh, I don't know if you or any of your listeners are familiar with him, but uh, he's one of the great pianists of our time or of any time. And, uh, you know, and he was the original pianist with this John Coltrane quartet before McCoy. I know I knew that name, but uh, I was was thinking, like, where do I know that name from? Yeah, he's a wonderful pianist and composer and uh, one of the greats of our time. Uh, in, in my estimation, and so, uh, and I've been playing with him off and on for since maybe 1990. Uh, so he's he's one of those people that, uh, again, like I said, I, I would have never probably had an, even uh, an opportunity to play with him had I not been in New York and, right. had, and had you know Lewis Nash not had recommended me for the gig, you know. So mm-hmm. they, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so uh, 
yeah, I've been playing with him, like I said, since then, and probably done, you know, 13 or 14 albums with over the years. And so we're playing at the Jazz Standard starting Wednesday through Sunday, or Thursday through Sunday. And, uh, and then after that, I'm playing with uh, bass player Eddie Gomez mm-hmm. um, uh, at a club called Mesro. And uh, then I, you know, other little things uh, in town with various people, you know, this week, that next week, the week after, blah, blah, blah. Then I go to a, a tour of Europe with, uh, with Steve Kuhn uh, the end of April into uh, the middle of May. And then when I get back, I'm uh, in town at a club called Smoke for three nights with a very wonderful pianist who's also one of the great pianists of our time named Stanley Cowell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and he's another person who I've. It's one of the more recent associations that I've uh, established. Of we've done three records now, and uh, a couple of tours, and uh, a couple of weeks at the Village Vanguard over the last few years. So uh, he's uh, one of those people that I've I've always admired and always wanted to play with, and never in my wildest dreams ever thought I would get an opportunity to do so, but. Things have a great way of working yeah. themselves out, don't they? Yeah, here, here it has happened. And, it, and it's happened like that with so many, you know, I could, you know, Andrew Hill, Carla Blay, Freddie Hubbard, Joe Henderson, Bobby Hutchison, Buster Williams, uh, Ron Carter, Nat Adderley, J.J. Johnson. Uh, and it, you know. Everybody. Just, yeah, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of great people that... Man, I I'm, I thank my lucky stars that I that I'm so fortunate to have been around, and then some of them, of course, are not here anymore. So sure. that's that's it, you know. That's mm-hmm. you know, I'm one of the lucky ones that got a chance to you know get some um, magic magic dust uh, rubbed off on me, you know. <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's some uh, magic dust from working so hard and being being equipped to handle the gigs and then you know luck may have it that you fall into these situations but but if you're not ready or not prepared to do that gig or or haven't done the work inside the inside the practice room you would never be well, asked to do those gigs that that's 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 true but i you know i still i still uh, you know pinch myself thinking about uh some of these some of these great people that i that i got a chance to play with and uh collaborate with on a musical level so um uh, so anyway that's that's kind of uh up to uh you know up till you know june or something and then uh, you know i've got a bunch of stuff in the fall and the summer and mm-hmm. uh, i you know i could go on and on but check my website and you'll find out some more things i guess and what i'll do is in the show notes i'll make sure that i link up to not only everything that we talked about but also to your website and all of that and in terms of being lucky to to get to you know play with people i also feel lucky that i get to talk to all of these amazing people including yourself so i want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me i do appreciate it uh i've been i've been eager to get you on the podcast for a very long time so i am i'm honored and extremely uh extremely thankful that you took some time to chat oh man totally totally my pleasure man and what a, what a great thing that you're doing now see i wish they'd have had this kind of thing when i was you know, growing up, man, I would yeah. loved. I would have loved to have been able to hear these people that I was listening to on records talk. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I think I was sort of scratching my own itch when I when I started this because yeah. you know I want to leave this. You know, it, and no matter what happens with this site or this podcast, you know, 
if I, you know, if I stop today, then no one can take away those, you know, 250 plus interviews that are just there forever. Absolutely, man. So, all, you know, all the best to you. And thank you for thank you for keeping this going, man. It's a beautiful thing that you're doing. Well, I couldn't do it without guys like you. So thank you. And uh, again, just honored to have you. Thank you so much, Billy. OK, man. Ciao, Nick. Thank you so much. All right. Man. Ciao. There you have it, the one and only Billy Drummond. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I could talk to Billy for hours. He just has just a ton of knowledge, and I love the perspective that he has. I love the perspective of you know embracing the past, embracing the future, and using you know using the technology and using the people who've come before us and blending them together. And you can sort of develop your own thing, honoring the tradition, but still doing your own thing with it and of course you know you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 256 to get all the show notes to get links to the people who we talk about and figure out how you can connect with billy where you can see him play and all that great stuff also if you are tired of getting passed over for bigger and better gigs the gigs that you deserve go to drummersresource.com forward slash gigs g-i-g-s and i will send you a free five-part email series how you to teach you how you can get bigger better higher paying and higher profile gigs that's at drummersresource.com forward slash g-i-g-s and it is 100 free you can check that out and again if you're in the san fran area let me know hit me up and maybe we can connect at some point or another and until then keep drumming thank you so much for listening i really do appreciate it you do know that and i will be talking to you soon peace